0: team, and thanks for tuning into the Stabbing Millennial Podcast, a community dedicated to ambitious and successful millennials. And today with us, we have Paige Pritchard. She's money and mindset management coach for high-achieving and high-earning women. Paige will be sharing a lot of tips with us today, and this episode is full of realness, so prepare yourselves. She'll be sharing her journey, how she went from financial hot mess to financial success, from being ninety thousand dollars in debt and having blown through her entire year's salary in her 20s, becoming debt-free, purchasing her first home, flow in her MBA, and building a multiple six-figure retirement and investment portfolio. Through her years of educating and coaching women, Paige has developed this fresh and unique blend to money management. She's merging the how-tos of money with money mindset work. She's a firm believer that you need to master both the math, and the mental aspects of money to reach your full financial potential. Her mission is to be a living example to other women of what is possible financially when you manage your mindset and emotions around money. Her goal is to get as much money into the hands of as many women around the world as possible. She believes that when more women have more money, the world will be a better place all around. And you know what? I think we can all agree with that. So with that, please welcome Paige. Welcome, Paige. Super excited to have you. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you for having me. It's Friday when we're recording this, so Fridays are always good.
0: (laughs) They're the best days, but also I find sometimes the worst days because you have your goals for the week, and if you haven't done something, that's the day to finish. Is that what you do?
1: Well, and it's also kind of hard to stay motivated on Fridays too. Yeah, you're like, I'll just do this next week. And it's like, no, let's do it today. Let's just go into the weekend feeling good. So... I like
0: it. I like it. So I guess on this note, let's jump right in. Paige, you are a mindset and money management coach. Mm -hmm. Tell us more. Where are you coming from? What does that mean? And what do you do?
1: Yeah. So like you said, you said it perfectly. I am a money mindset coach for women. And so it's a little bit different. It's a different approach. So when most people think about money, what they think of is they think of the math. They think of the black and white, but what I focus on is the mental piece of money. And so I always like to say that money is 90% mental and 10% math. But when most people think of money, they think it's actually the opposite. They think, like, oh, if I can just get the black and white math nailed down, if I can just figure out budgeting, if I can just figure out how to get my debt paid off, you know, purely from like a math numbers perspective, then I'll be good. And I actually always like to think about money like an iceberg, right? And so there's the part of the iceberg that's like the 10% that's kind of sticking out up above the water. And that is the part that most people think of when they think of money. It's the numbers, it's the how-tos, but really underneath the surface of the water is the mass of the iceberg. It's the other 90% that people don't really see. And because it's you know underneath the surface, people don't really think about it. But What's underneath the surface drives and dictates what's above the water. You know, most people have a very complicated relationship with money, okay? And the relationship that you have with money can really be traced to your thoughts about it, your beliefs about it, your attitudes about it. And that, your mindset around money is going to dictate how successful you are in the math part of it, in the management piece of it. And so when I actually started helping people with money, I started with, 10% up above the water with all the how-tos. And what I kept seeing time and time again is like, I was giving everyone the steps. I was giving everyone the roadmap. I was like, here's exactly what you need to go do. And there just was this breakdown that kept happening. And I kept seeing these self-sabotaging behaviors time and time again, not only in other people, but honestly, in myself as well. I was just like, okay, what's going on? Why is this happening? And then at that point, that's when I started just to do more research and I really kind of discovered like, oh my gosh, there's this whole other piece of it that is driving all of these actions that has to be addressed and has to be cleaned up first or else like the how to's don't matter. And so at that point, that's when I went and got my life coaching certification and learned all about mindset work. And so now that's the piece of the pie that I focus on every day.
0: Oh, thank you for sharing. Okay, lots to unpack. First of yeah. all, you went to school, you got yourself a lot of debt. And yeah. then you paid for your MBA, and then during that process, I assume that's when the whole idea of mindset, money management just kicked in. You yep. figured out how to do it. First of all, what did you go to school for? Was mm-hmm. it useful? Would you do it again? And then how did you manage to get rid of your loans?
1: Yeah. So, I have two degrees. I have an undergrad degree in marketing, and then I have an MBA in finance and marketing. And to your point, to kind of answer your question, I don't like in my life coaching practice, so to speak, I don't necessarily use either, but I would in a heartbeat do them again. And I absolutely feel like they were worth it. And, you know, I just want to point out too that that's like an intentional. Choice that I've made, like a mindset choice that I've made to look at my degrees that I technically don't really need to do what I do every day. So, we can come back to that in a second because I feel like that's something that people get really hung up with with student loan debt because there's so many people who are paying for degrees that they're not using or that aren't really applicable in their full time careers. And so, they choose to view that debt and those loans in a certain way that I don't feel is very constructive or productive. But to your point, I had about $40,000 of debt for my undergraduate degree that by the way, I will say, I didn't even realize that I had until after I had graduated. So I know she's like doing a face palm right now because we're on Zoom and (laughs) we can see each other. Yeah, so how that kind of went was I'm the oldest of three girls. And in my family growing up, money was just something that was never talked about ever. It was just, you didn't talk about money. It was just kind of like this secretive thing. And I grew up in a suburb of the Dallas area that I would say is middle class. And so all of my friends, I knew their parents were paying for their college because I guess their parents had told them like, hey, we got college covered. And I honestly just assumed the same thing from my parents, even though we never had a conversation about it. So I went to college four years thinking like, oh, mom and dad have got this, like no worries. To then find out, you know, six months after graduating, I started getting contacted by my lenders saying, you know, congrats on graduating, but it's time to start paying on your loans because they're coming out of deferment. And I was like, what loans? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I have loans. Like, what do you like? What forty thousand dollars of loans? And so at that point, it was kind of like, okay, I need to figure out a plan to kind of get this all cleaned up, right? In addition to that, at that same time, I, you know, was dating my now husband. We were getting pretty serious in our relationship. You know, engaged, all that sort of stuff. And he had the other fifty eight thousand. And we have always just kind of viewed our finances as one, including our debt. We've always just said like, it's our income, it's our debt, it's our savings. So between the two of us, that's kind of how, where that $98,000 comes from. It's 40,000 from me, 58 from him, from his MBA and from, you know, some credit card debt. And so that was kind of the totality and where it all came from. And then it just came down to paying it off.
0: So the interesting part is, did your parents apply for the loans and never told, told you? Like, how did it happen?
1: <laughs> yeah, they basically applied for the loans. Like under my social security number, that's just kind of how it went. And, and listen, my parents and I, we have a fantastic relationship. Yeah. I love them. To, we've talked about it since. And like, it's all good. And, you know, there's no hard feelings at all. But it definitely was a little bit jarring and shocking, you know, starting to find out like, oh my gosh, I have all this student loan debt that I didn't think that I had.
0: And obviously, conversation would be nice, like a heads up, like, by the way, you know, after four or five years, just so you know. Yeah, we talked about that. We
1: talked about that. (laughs) Well, and like I said, I'm the oldest of three girls. So my big thing was, you know, because they had to do the same thing with my two other sisters. And so my big thing was, you need to tell them about this and have them know that this is something that they're getting themselves into, as opposed to just like graduating and finding out about it after the fact. Surprise! Yeah, surprise! (laughs) Happy graduation. I
0: know. Crazy. Okay. So then I guess after that, you get a call, you realize you have this crap ton of loans. Mm-hmm. What do you do then? Are you panicking? Are you okay? And you're balanced and you're like, I got this. What, yeah. what's, the, what's the process? Well,
1: I mean, I will say at the time, this is well before, well before I like discovered all the mindset work and all of the things that I know now. So to your point at the time, it was very anxiety producing. There was definitely a lot of panic. But really what I knew that I had to do at that point in time, because basically before that I had been spending money, like it was my job, like it was my full-time job to be spending money. And it really was like, I always say, you know, like when the analogy of like kids who like leave, have really strict parents and then they leave the house and they just go wild. That was me, but with money, like when I started earning money, because I had literally gone from a broke college student that probably had no more than $20 in her checking account at any point in time, to making like a full-time salary. And that jump from, you know, like zero to 60, really, like I just went wild. And so I was spending, spending, spending. And so that moment was kind of my wake-up call to say like, I can't keep going at the rate that I'm going or else I'm never going to get this debt paid off and I'm going to be broke for the rest of my life. Really like the first step was just like making a plan and just honestly paying attention to what I was spending my money on, which sounds so simplistic, but it's something that most of us don't do. We don't pay attention to where our money is going and what we're spending it on. And that was really the first step was me like slowing down and being like, okay, I need a plan. And my plan was my budget. And some people don't like the B word. They don't like budget. It like makes them like break out in hives and like start sweating. And it's like, fine, call it whatever you want. Call it a money plan, call it a spending plan. But you've got to have a plan.
0: I totally agree with you. And I mean, there's this misconception that, you know, millennials spend money on coffees and avocado toast. And if we just, you know, stop doing that, then we'll make a lot of money. We'll have a lot of money, which is not the case. It's not about what you actually spend it on. You can allow yourself to do coffees. It's just maybe limit your spending on other things. Maybe you don't need 17 subscriptions for a book service, That is my case. (laughs) You're never going to use because you're always thinking, oh, like there's Medium, there's Sports, there is Audible, then Blinkist. I'm going to do it all. And then you don't have enough time. So you subscribe to all the services, you pay, and you're never using them. So it's, I think, being mindful also of those expenses that you don't see. Yeah. But then they renew automatically. And then you're like, oh, shit, I guess I'm paying for it again. Yeah. And this is something, you
1: know, I, one area that I work with my clients on so much is spending money because to your point, it has become just this narrative, right? Like that us millennials have been told to your point about the lattes and the avocado toast and all of this stuff, which I just think is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. And what I like to say is like, you have to think of spending. I like to think of spending money on a spectrum. Okay. So imagine like one end of the spectrum is you're spending money very impulsively. It's not coming from a very clean place. You're spending it to make yourself feel better or to entertain yourself. That's kind of like one end. Like that's not healthy.
0: To it's do. coming from a place of lack. Like you're always trying to feel the void and the need and, and yes. that's not productive.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there's that one end. And then there's the other complete opposite end of the spectrum, which a lot of people fall on as well, where they want to like hoard their money. And to your point, it's also coming from a very fearful place. It's a very ungenerous place in an ungenerous spirit. But it, again, it's coming from the fear that there's no more money coming and it's just going to dry up eventually. And so what we want to do with spending is we want to get you to the middle of that spectrum, Right. We want you to be at a place where you don't feel resistance to spending money and you can drop all the shame and guilt that so many people feel around it, but you're also being very intentional with it to your point. So you're spending it on things that add a net positive benefit into your life and you're being very intentional about what you choose to spend your money on. And that's kind of like the healthy medium between the two is... There's no resistance to spending it. And to your point, if you want the lattes, if you want the avocado toast, if you want you know, certain things, there's absolutely no need to feel guilty about it or to have someone tell you that it's a quote unquote waste of money. By the way, there's nothing that's a, considered a universal waste of money. But it's just, to your point, being intentional about this is something that I like and I enjoy. It adds a net positive benefit into my life. And I want to spend my money here which means that I'm going to cut in areas that don't add as much of a benefit into my life that aren't as valuable to me.
0: I love it. That's basically what it is. I love how you simplify because a lot of people, as you mentioned, like they break into hives and they think finance is so difficult. And I come from a finance background. So I graduated with finance degree. I'm a banker. So for me, money is, you know, it's a concept and it's easy. But it's because of the mindset that, you know, I I think if you break it down in simple steps, it is doable and is manageable. So in terms of budgets, do you create your own? Did you have to create your own? Did you use some of the tools available? How did you go through this process when you started on your journey?
1: I'll tell you what I use personally. So I actually use a software It's called YNAB, Y-N-A-B, and it stands for You Need a Budget. Okay, I have tried pretty much every budgeting software out there. I have tried Mint. I have tried EveryDollar. I've tried Quicken. I've tried everything. And YNAB, hands down, is my personal favorite because of many reasons, but the biggest, I think, is because it actually mimics real life. But I use a software. And so my big thing is making, to your point, making the process as easy as possible, And here's the thing with budgeting. You know, you have to start with your mindset around it, to your point. So many people aren't budgeting because they are thinking about it completely wrong. They are thinking that it's restrictive. They think that it's all about what they can't do and what they can't spend. And so, of course, when you think about it that way, of course, you're not going to want to budget and you're not going to budget, right? Right. So really where you have to start is with your mindset around it. And I truly view my budget as just like my plan, right? Like with your business, you have a business plan. If you want to lose weight, you're going to have a health plan. Your budget is simply just your plan for your money. That's it. Like it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that, or you don't have to make it mean anything further than that. But when it really comes down to the execution piece, I'm a big fan of software because softwares nowadays can link into your bank accounts. They can pull in all of your transactions. They can do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. And here's the thing with budgeting. A lot of people think that they're budgeting, but they're not. So I'm just going to tell your listener base, you sitting down and writing down your bills on a piece of paper is not budgeting. (laughs) Okay. So like, I hear this all the time. They're like, well, I pay off my credit cards every month or you know all of my bills are on auto draft or I know the amounts of my expenses and it's like that's all great it is it's it's all great I want you to be paying off your credit cards I want you to know what your bills are and when they're due and have all the automated stuff set up but you simply just knowing the amount of your bills is not budgeting okay there has to be the two parts of the pie you have to make the plan and then you have to track how you're doing against the plan and that's the tracking your expenses and seeing how you're doing, which again, softwares like YNAB can make it very easy for you to do that. It doesn't really have to be as hard and as complicated as people think it is.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. To your point, you know, there's importance of budgeting, making sure your expenses are right, your bills are paid. But the other aspect, the reason why you're actually budgeting is to make sure that you are able to save, invest, and multiply your money. And the yep. problem is without budgeting, You can't fulfill that step, which is going to help you to retire, to have the dream life, to buy the house, to do whatever else you want. But budgeting is the first step. So then you budget it with the software. Now, is there like a simple step that you use? Like 10% of your money is automatically saved, 10% or 20% is off for tax purposes and locked in the account, maybe 20% for expenses. How do you divide it? Like quick math
1: like money for my business is kept like completely separate from like my personal finances. Right. But you know, for savings, I have a certain percentage that I stick in a retirement account every single time that I'm paid. So I usually do like 15%. Right. And I will just say too, I know that that number can seem very high to some people, but when I first started doing this back when I was 21, 22, I started with 5%. Okay. I started at my corporate job. I, I just contributed what I needed to contribute to get my match, my 401k match. And every year I've gradually bumped it up a percentage point until now, 10 years later, I'm at 15%, right? And so normally that's what people say, 15 or 20%. But to answer your question, my budget is structured in order of priorities, okay? Most people, when they structure their budget, they structure it like, here are my fixed expenses, here are my variable expenses. I don't do it that way. What I do is I believe that you have to look at your expenses in terms of priority, which means that you have certain expenses that are more important than others. And logically, we know this, right? Like logically, if you were to ask someone like, Hey, what's more important? Is it more important to pay your rent? Or is it more important to pay your Netflix subscription? People would be like, Rent, obviously, right? I was gonna say
0: Netflix. Yeah, well,
1: actually, you know what? Some people some people might say Netflix nowadays in 2020. Okay, that would be totally valid and I would understand. But most of us know that we have expenses that are more important than others, but we're not making that priority within our spending plan. And so how I have my budget structured, and this is what I teach in one of my courses, is I teach you this priority, right? So your needs come first, okay? rent, basic food, basic clothing, utilities, anything that's needed to keep your livelihood intact, I believe is a need nowadays. So I honestly consider like your cell phone a need. If you need your cell phone for your job, like I said, to keep your livelihood intact, gas to get to your job, all of those are needs. Okay. You need it to survive. You need it to keep making money. And then after that, the next priority after that is your debt payments so making the minimum payments on any consumer debt that you have. After that is funding a financial goal. So whether that's paying off your debt, savings, anything like that. Then I have sinking funds, which is you know me sending money to future expenses. And then the last thing that comes in my budget are all like the wants and the spending and the eating out and all that sort of stuff. So I have my expenses structured from most important to least important. And so when I get paid, when money comes in, The money gets assigned to here's what's most important to here's what's least important. But that doesn't mean a lot of people hear that and think that I'm saying like you can't spend money on the spending out and the entertainment and all the fun stuff that we all want to be spending money on. And it absolutely does not mean that you're not spending money there. It just means that you make sure that everything else is covered and taken care of. And then whatever is left over, you go out and you have a heyday on whatever is left. Because if you're following that priority, you're covering your needs, you're saving, you're you know, funding and hitting financial goals, you're paying off debt. like You're doing all the stuff that you need to be doing to build a really solid financial base. And so you don't have to have any guilt or shame or judgment about then using whatever is left over to go do what you want to do.
0: I like it a lot. Like it totally makes sense. And again, you're making it so simple that it just for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about or who needs a plan, I think your courses are the best way to just figure out how to structure your stuff. It gives you a framework. And then yeah. obviously working with you, I think it's going to be amazing to know exactly specifically where you can add more, where you can create stuff because you have already done that. Yeah. You know what you're talking about. You've done it multiple times. You're you're a good coach for that. So then the question would be, do you help people once they're in a good position? For someone with a budget, they kind of know what they're spending, that they're making. Do you help them to figure out how to save and invest their money and multiply it? Or it's up to them?
1: Well, I mean, I'll give advice in that area. Right. But I mean, I will be very clear that I'm not a CFP. I don't have like official financial like certifications. Okay. So like when somebody comes to me and they're like, what index fund should I pick? Or, you know, this, I'm like, listen, you need to go talk to a financial advisor. Like I can tell you what I do and what I know from my general knowledge. But really, like what I'm here to help people do is more like the behavior side of money. It's like, why are you doing the things that you're doing when it comes to money? Right. So it's like going back to the budget, it's like there's the budget and then there's you making the plan for yourself. But then there's actually like you going out and like executing that plan, right? Through saving, through spending. And a lot of times there's breakdowns. A lot of times there's stuff that happens. A lot of times, you say that you're only going to spend a certain amount in a category and you blow over it. And so what I hope you figure out is like, why did that happen? What is going on in your mind and with your mindset and what emotions were driving those actions and those decisions? And so it's really trying to figure out why you do what you do. If somebody's like, Hey, like what should I do with savings or anything like that? I'll give you my advice, but I'm not someone that's going to be giving yeah. you like investment advice.
0: No, no, totally makes sense. And uh, yeah. I mean, I think you're really good at helping people figure out the first part of the puzzle, which is the start. And then mm-hmm. from there, I mean, if you save a crap ton of money, you can do whatever you want with it. So yeah. then also for you as a business owner, how do you manage your funds or set up your business in a way where you know that your bills every month are going to be covered? Because uh, I mean, yep. I'm not sure how you structure a business. Is it project-based? Is it monthly payments that you get? And how do you figure out the uncertainty, right? Because some months can be more than others. How do you deal with the always never ending roller coaster emotionally, I guess, yeah. and also financially?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a really great question. So just how I have a personal budget for my personal life and personal finances, I also have a budget for my business that is also in YNAB. Okay. So if you're a business owner, I would just say definitely check out YNAB because one of the biggest perks about YNAB versus other budgeting softwares is that YNAB actually allows you to have multiple budgets like within one account. So you can be like flipping back to like, here's my personal budget, here's my business budget and keep everything just very separated. But this is how I do it. So I actually follow the profit first method and I would recommend reading the book Profit First. The author is Mike Michalowicz. And I take the Profit First method and I use that, but I use it in YNAB. And so what the Profit First method is, is it's basically taking all of your revenue and setting, he calls them caps, current allocation percentages. But it's basically you deciding the percentage of your overall revenue that's going to go to four areas, to paying yourself, The business owner, which he calls owner's comp, to taxes, to business expenses, okay, which he calls OPEX operating expenses, and then the fourth category is profit, so keeping like a profit margin within your business. But what I do is I have my caps, my current allocation percentages, so it's like 30% goes to tax, 30% goes to paying myself, 30% goes to expenses, 10% goes to profit. Okay. That's just like a really like easy formula. But depending on the structure of your business, your caps probably are going to look different than mine. Like I'm like an online business owner. I don't have a lot of overhead as a coach that just like Mm -hmm. kind of works out of my house and works on the internet. Somebody who owns a brick and mortar business, their caps are going to look very different than mine. But when revenue comes in, all you're doing is you're basically just taking it and splitting it out across those four areas. So let's just say like $1,000 comes in, $300 is going to go to taxes, $300 I'm going to use to pay myself, $300 is, I'm is going to earmark for future expenses, and $100 is going to go to profit in my business. And to your point, what I do to make sure that I'm always covering expenses, which again, YNAB is great about this, is I have all of my expenses listed out in YNAB. And most of the expenses for my business are annual expenses, which mean like subscriptions to things, right? Um, Subscriptions to services that I use to run my business. And so it's just like you get to that point every year where the money is due, and so instead of just waiting until that point every year where it's like, oh shoot, I need $500 this month to pay for my, you know, whatever subscription, you're money every single month towards that milestone every month. So, you know, let's just say it's a $600 annual expense, you're $50 a month out of my business operating expense category every single month so that, like I was saying, you don't get to the expense and you're surprised about it. And that makes it a lot easier because to your point, it takes out the ups and the downs. It takes out like going into a month where you're just like, crap, I have so many expenses this month. And then having certain months where you're like, I don't have any expenses this month, right? And so what it does is it just smooths and evens everything out for you so that you know every month, like every month I need to be saving $1,000 towards my operating expenses to make sure I can cover everything. And that just gives you a number that you know every month you need to be at instead of like this up and down roller coaster.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned the book because you're not the first person who mentioned it because mm, we have yeah. other entrepreneurs who basically say this book is awesome. That's how yeah. you divide it. Yep. And the other thing is, Mandy, she was on the podcast a few weeks ago and she said, make sure you pay yourself first. Because yes. if you're the life of your business, you're the visionary, there's no pride in not paying yourself that, you know, yeah. going hungry and being a starving artist, make sure you pay yourself because at the end of the day, if you're not doing well, your business is not doing well. And so I think, exactly. I'm glad you mentioned that you pay yourself, you put stuff into taxes, expenses, but one of the important categories, you've got to pay yourself.
1: Totally. And that's what profit first helps you do, right? It, it prioritizes the profit because, you know, he explains in the book how, what most business owners do is the profit in their business is determined by the expenses. So they cover all of their expenses. And this is, we do this as well in our personal lives, right? It's like what we can save and put towards the profit of our business is solely dependent on our expenses. But his argument is like, do it the other way around pay yourself yeah. first and protect the profit in your business and then fit your expenses into what's left over after that. That is how you build a profitable business. And to your point, always ensure that you can pay yourself.
0: And then uh, Robert Kawasaki says the same thing, rich poor dead, right? He always yeah. talks about how it's important to make sure that you pay yourself, you make sure that you save, invest, and do a lot of other main things that help drive your business. And then obviously pay expenses and yeah. everything else, but it goes in a Different pyramid, I guess. Yes, that's what it totally is. exactly. So, in terms of COVID and being online and being mm-hmm. an online entrepreneur, first of all, how you've been managing it. Second of all, how do you create all of your content, and do you have a team?
1: Great questions. So, I'll start with the COVID. I think my answer is probably going to be a little different than most. Twenty twenty actually has been. A really good year for me. It's been a year of a lot of growth and a lot of change. And I actually, you know, worked from home pre COVID. So I've been living the work from home life for, you know, three years now. But I will say, when I first started working from home, it was the hardest and loneliest year of my entire life. And I'm not kidding you, I gained 40 pounds that I've since lost. I gained it. And then I had to work my ass off to lose it all. I was just going to say, where are they? (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's gone now, but I totally, totally get it. This notion of, you know, people just feeling really alone and feeling really isolated right now because just being in their homes, I experienced it when I first started working from home, coming from a corporate environment where I was with people every day, working very closely with the team. And then just being stuck in my house all day where it's like the only interaction that I would have is like my two dogs. And then my poor husband would come home from work and I would just like pounce and he would be exhausted He had been talking to people all day. I hadn't been talking to anybody. So I get it. It's definitely hard. Three years in now, I feel like I've kind of figured out the tips and the tricks to kind of mellow and kind of normalize everything out. But this year my husband has been working from home as well with his job he works a corporate career so he's been at home that was a hard adjustment at first cuz i've always just kind of had the house to myself and with him home i was like oh my gosh this is going to be like i'm not going to be able to do like my videos and my trainings and stuff cuz he's just like walking around in the background honestly like it took me a little bit to get used to it but i truly i can say now i've loved having him home and It's just, it's been this really interesting chapter of our relationship. We talk about all the time. We're like, we're probably never going to have another chapter like this in our lives like this, where we're both like at home. So it's been a really good year, but I totally understand how hard it is because I've been there. It's just like, I had my COVID year like three years ago (laughs) before actually COVID happened. Like my work from home, like isolation year. So I totally hard. agree
0: with you. And I mean, it's it's funny how you said that, you know, it's actually been a really good year. Be very careful because you know that a lot of people are not having a good year. And I find that it's the same when I talk to people, because I want to say it's been a really great year, but you don't want to say that out loud. So just got to get rid of the guilt for some people. I mean, I think that's a year where I was able to focus on things that matter most. And like, yeah. I was able to eliminate a lot of the things that didn't need to be in my schedule, but I had to do just because it was a norm. You know, there's a lot yeah. of positives. Uh, the same with you, me, and my uh, my fiance. We started working from home in a one bedroom apartment in Toronto, mm. and it was hell because we <laughs> didn't have enough space for the two of us. Being on the phones all day, so we did rock paper scissors. Who's gonna get the patio furniture and who's gonna be in the bedroom oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. the kitchen? Yeah. and it was insane. But at the same time, it brought us closer because we would probably never had an opportunity like that to be always, you know, in the same space and like having the opportunity to see each other so much.
1: Yeah, totally agree.
0: Your secret, I guess, you guys have been doing really well. Are there any tips of like how to manage things? Because I know some couples, what is it, divorce rates are are at their highest right now because a lot of people never thought working together or living together 24-7 was possible. Yep. So, what are your tips?
1: I'll say this. And again, you know, I'm like the mindset coach. So, I, you know, it's like, of course, this is going to be my answer. But I've done, I would say in the past year, I've done a ton of work on my mindset in relation to my marriage and my husband. And what I believe and what I teach is that your, I mean, really, when you think about it, your relationship with any person, really, whether it's a family member or a friend or your significant other, your relationship with somebody is simply just your thoughts about them. And their relationship with you is just their thoughts about you. And so the quality of your thoughts that you choose to think about each other is going to determine the quality of your relationship. And actually, I'll send it to you and you'll have to put it in the show notes. I cannot think of the author's name, but the book is actually called Seven Principles for Making a Marriage Work. And the first principle, this guy has like spent his life studying couples And marriages and what makes marriages successful and what ultimately leads to their demise. And he said that one of the biggest things that he can tell that's gonna determine if a relationship is successful or not is the two people deliberately choosing to think productive and constructive thoughts about their partner. Now, notice how I didn't say positive. Okay, this does not mean that you have to be like in happy, positive land about your partner 100% of the time because that's just not realistic. But it's choosing to think thoughts that are going to serve the relationship and that are constructive, right and that's been the biggest thing for me. I actually just did a training earlier today where I was talking about you know my husband in relation to money and like one big mindset shift that I made. so my husband is a huge tipper, right so like when we go places and we go out, which obviously we haven't been doing much of this year but he leaves these like massive tips, like 50% tips, right? And you know, those like Capital One, how you see those commercials where it's like, did you mean to leave like a 50% tip at da-da-da-da-da? I get those constantly, like all the time, right? And when we first met, it like really bothered me, right? Because I was like, I'm all for like leaving like a good tip, but like maybe we just stick to like 20%. Like, do we really need to leave like a 50% tip everywhere we go? But it was just something that Ryan really wanted to do and really like made him happy. And in the beginning, it used to make me so angry because the thoughts that I would have about it would be like, he's being so wasteful, he's wasting our money, he's not enough about- coming from lack. Yeah, that's exactly right, right, right. what we discussed. Yeah. Like he cares about these people. He cares about their financial situation more than he cares about our financial situation. Just all these like, honestly, terrible thoughts that I was deliberately choosing to think about the situation. And, you know, I've done a lot of like self-coaching on this myself, but now I feel totally different about it. And now it's a non-issue and it doesn't bother me at all because I've really done a lot of work on myself internally to kind of shift my mindset from like, he's being so wasteful to he's so generous and he really like has a love for people and he wants to like help people and serve people and this is like one way that he can do that and so really at the end of the day like the biggest tip that i can give you with your relationship is just really be conscious about the thoughts that you're thinking about your partner and it's hard to do in relationships because a lot of time with relationships the feeling comes first like the first thing that you notice is the feeling. So you notice that you feel really annoyed towards your partner or you notice you feel really frustrated towards your partner. And a lot of us think, and again, this is what I teach in my practice. A lot of us think that emotions and feelings come from other people and they come from things outside of us. And I teach this with money. A lot of people think that money makes them feel a certain way. So you hear a lot like money makes me feel secure. Money makes me feel successful. But your emotions are generated from your thoughts and from your thinking, which means that any emotion that you're feeling can be traced back to a thought. And it means that your emotions are generated from within you. So when you find yourself feeling annoyed with your partner, one thing that I like to do is I always like to just ask myself the question, what is the thought that I'm thinking right now? That's making me feel annoyed towards Ryan because it takes the responsibility off the other person and you bring it back to yourself, which yes, is hard and it's not necessarily the most fun thing to do. Like blame is a lot easier than personal accountability, oh, yeah. but it puts you in a position where like you're in control, right? Like if you want to make yourself feel better in your relationship, you don't need the other person to do anything differently than what they're doing. Right? I, like was Ryan. Like, I didn't need Ryan to stop, like, leaving the big tips. I needed to change the way that I was thinking about it.
0: Yeah, your approach. And I, I love that you said that because I assume you know about the book, The Secret, The Power, The Magic. Yeah. yeah. So I am a big, big believer in the universe and approach and abundance and come from a place of abundance in everything that you do. And it'll all come back to you. So if you're doing it with good feelings and thoughts and you are basically power generating towers that are always emitting and reflecting and receiving energy. And I love that that's what you're teaching, but you're also putting in the perspective of money and mindset and relationships. It's really cool. On your Instagram, I just saw uh, the podcast clip about the intimacy, financial intimacy in the relationship Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how important it is to make sure that, you know, with your partner you discuss money. I truly believe in that. Now, are there any tips on how to approach that conversation. Because for me, it's not really an issue because I'm very direct. So we have those direct conversations with my partner. But I know a lot of people, it, it might be tough to bring up or how would you recommend bringing up those conversations so it doesn't sound crazy?
1: This is something that you know I feel is a narrative that gets pushed out there is like, I can't bring money up or I can't talk about money because it's inappropriate or it's taboo or you know they're going to think that I'm being nosy or that sort of thing. But I want you to know that if you're in a serious relationship with somebody and you are considering joining your lives together, you have to just at the very base of it, remember the fact that marriage, as much as we want to think about marriage in terms of like love and all this sort of stuff, marriage is a legal binding contract. And in many States in the United States, I'll, I'm not exactly sure how it looks and works in Canada. I'll have to do more research on that. But I mean, in most States in the United States, when you come into a marriage, your assets like become shared and both people are on the hook. Okay. And liabilities are also and liable. Sharing. Yeah. Liabilities are shared, all of that sort of stuff. And so I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's not fun. But it's necessary. It's necessary for you to have those conversations. And so even just approaching it and being honest with your partner, being like, look, I know this is hard. And I know that this is kind of uncomfortable. And I'm willing to kind of like work through this together as we both kind of like figure out like the best plan for both of us. But I need to talk to you about, you know, fill in the blank. Like I need to talk to you about your financial state or what your goals are moving forward, or what you kind of have envisioned for yourself. Because as much as we want to say like, oh, it's just the money, it'll take care of itself, or it's not that important. You know, money is the second leading cause of divorce in marriages after infidelity. And so if you don't get it figured out or straightened out, and if you can't get to the point where you can have open and honest conversations with your partner about money, you know, that financial intimacy in your relationship is going to be there.
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I mean, my approach, and it's not the best approach, but it kind of works most of the time. I usually just <laughs> blurt it out. Whatever's bothering me, whatever I want to talk about, it's like, we're just going to blur it out and see where it lands. And most of the time, I would say 98% of the time, it works really well because the other people are pretty receptive. You know, I, yeah. I, you never actually give enough credit to the person that's sitting across from you. Like, they're actually pretty reasonable, smart human beings. They'll pick up what you're putting down and you'll be able to match the conversation as you go. So, if somebody doesn't know how to bring it up, I would just say blur it out and see what happens.
1: Yeah, no. And, you know, it's all in the approach, right? Like, it's just to your point, it's approaching it from, hey, like, this is going to help both of us. Like, this is going to benefit our relationship together as a whole. And approaching it from, you know, having a lot of compassion for your partner. Like, I always say it's hard sometimes because especially in relationships, a lot of times when you're having conversations around money, it's filled with a lot of criticism and a lot of judgment. And what you have to remember is that we each have our very own unique yet complicated backgrounds and relationships with money. But a lot of us come into relationships thinking and expecting that our partner is going to be the exact same way that we are with money. And I always use the analogy of like a cookie and a brownie It's like, you're a cookie and he's a brownie and you're both like tasty and delicious and like wonderful desserts. But the ingredients that have gone into each of those desserts are completely different and you would never expect a cookie to be a brownie and vice versa. And that is how people come into relationships with money, like trying to make the cookie a brownie or vice versa. And it's just like, listen, your husband is a brownie. Just let him be a brownie like, stop trying to turn him into a cookie. Like, he's still delicious. He's just not a cookie. You know what I mean? So it's like, just it. let him oh. be who he wants to be. Like, and just I'm recognizing that you're going to have differences. Yeah. And embrace the differences,
0: right? It goes actually with everything the other person, cookie and a brownie, your yeah. religious views, your political views, like anything. It's just, it's not bad. It's just different. I totally agree with you. And I think on a relationship, the other important part is, you focus on the solution together. You don't point blame in your fingers at who caused the problem. Yeah, like I, totally. I love the fact that you opened up and you said, you know, your debt, the $98,000 worth of debt, you were saying it like you dealt with it, but it was actually yours and your husband. And I love mm-hmm. that you gave that example that, you know, we focused on the solution and it was ours, not just him contributing more and I had to solve his problems. I, I love that. You, yeah. You, Yeah. We never really looked
1: at it honestly as, you know, as how it was split up. And we never also looked at it, which I hear a lot of couples doing, which is totally your prerogative if you want to do it. But also we never really looked at income of like who makes more money and what he makes versus what I make and how it's like, quote unquote, fair of like making it even you know between the two because to me i just think when you start to like so many couples are so focused on things being fair but or the reality of it is Or splitting the bill is, equally
0: down the middle to make sure yeah, that in- and <laughs> yeah
1: but it's just like the reality of it is that very few actually i've never seen one ever but very few relationships are financially fair quote unquote i'm doing air quotes because i've never seen a relationship where each person comes into the relationship you know, making the same amount of money, having the same amount of debt, having the same amount of savings, there's usually 99% of the time, one person's always going to make more money. One person is always going to have more debt. One person is always going to have more savings. And instead of looking at it like me versus you or making your partner kind of like your competition, it's like, why don't we tackle this together? Because I really view it as it's like this phenomena of like one plus one starts to equal three. There's just something like magical that kind of happens that you can't really explain when both of you are committed to the vision and you're both like, we're not going to focus on like who brings in what or you know what debt belongs to who. It's just like, we have this pile and we're going to tackle this other pile together.
0: I love it because, yeah, you're focused on the maximizing your upside, minimizing your downside, and you're using the skills and experiences of both. And I guess using your strength more than anything. Yeah. Because you're right. Nobody comes equal age, experience, you know, financial situation, down to education, down to background and upbringing, and which country you come from. So oh, I totally yeah. agree with you. I guess the question now to pivot about you, your business, your online presence, do you have a team? And if you don't, how do you manage to balance everything that you do?
1: So no, I do not have a team. It is just me, myself, and I.
0: I know. Um, okay. How do you do this? Because <laughs> this is insane. You create amazing content. Your reels are on point. Your your Instagram <laughs> is uh, is live and thriving. You have coaching classes. You have courses. You have website. How? So I haven't
1: always been this productive. I would say that my Productivity has really shot up this past year because of kind of two reasons, and I'll walk you through both. But the first, obviously, again, I keep going back to it, is just an intentional practice of coaching myself and being able to like process through negative emotion. I think so many of us stop ourselves from doing what needs to get done or doing the things that we know that we need to do because we don't feel like it quote unquote, or it doesn't feel like good, or we don't feel motivated. And, you know, knowing mindset work and knowing the way that your brain works actually is very helpful for this because your brain is designed to do what feels good and to push you away from things that don't feel good. And to, conserve energy. Okay. So if it was up to your like survival primitive brain, like I would literally just lay on the couch all day and watch shits Creek like all day long, truly. Like, and every day, like a lot of people, like to your point, look at it and they're like, wow, you get so much done. And it's like, yeah, but also don't confuse that with the fact that it doesn't always feel good. And I don't always feel like doing it. And as an entrepreneur, like I think we all like to say like, oh, it's so great because we don't have a boss. I do have a boss. My calendar is my boss. My calendar is what tells me like what I'm going to do every day and when I'm going to do it. It's half of just like mindset work and reminding myself that like it's not always going to feel good, nor should it. And my brain is just kind of doing what it's been wired to do. Right. And it's pushing through that and just saying like, I'm going to do it anyways. But then the second thing is kind of the time management, I guess, process that I use. And I actually learned this through the life coach school. She has a podcast episode on it. If you guys want to go listen to it, just go to Google and search the life coach school Monday, hour one, like just type that into Google and it'll come up the life coach school Monday, hour one. And it's called Monday Hour One because it's this process of you spend the first hour of your Monday, the first hour of your week, planning out your entire week. And what you do is like you sit down with a piece of paper and you literally write out everything that you need to get done that week. So for me, it's like everything. I even put on there, I'm like, I'm like, make a reel, like make an Instagram graphic. Like it's just by the end of it, my entire piece of paper is just filled with everything I need to get done that week. And then what I do is I take everything on that piece of paper and I put it on my calendar. I calendar it. So I say, when am I actually going to dedicate time to do this? And when I put it on my calendar, every single like meeting notice on my calendar is results-based. So it doesn't just say work on podcasts. It doesn't just say like social media. It says exactly what I'm gonna be doing. So if I'm working on my podcast, it's like, write script for episode blank, record episode blank, you know, edit, you know, like all the stuff. It's like, so when I pull up my calendar notice, I can see exactly what I'm going to be getting done in that
0: block of time.
1: And so that's kind of the process that I use. And then it's just a matter, like I said, of just knowing that my calendar is my boss and I do what my calendar says. So
0: what time do you get up and what time you go to bed? Like how many hours do you actually work? And I think we have to like pull, pull the curtain back on that.
1: I get up at like seven every day. I usually start working around like nine and
0: I'll work till like six. So um, like regular work day, you're not one of yeah, those entrepreneurs who is crazy. Like, you know, I get up at four in the morning, I go to bed at 1 a.m. I only sleep three hours. No, hustle, hustle. No, and, and to your point, I sleep is a big deal to me.
1: I prioritize sleep because I just find like, if I don't get my, like at least eight hours, I just, I find like, to me, it's worth it to get more sleep. Because if I get more sleep, I can be more productive in the hours that I'm awake rather than like skimping on the sleep, but then being less productive when I'm awake. So to me, it's like I prioritize the sleep. So I'm usually in bed every night, by like 10 asleep by 1030. I wake up at like seven. So I'm getting like, you know, eight to nine hours of sleep a night. But it's just a matter of when I'm sitting down and I'm working, I'm working. Like unless I'm on Instagram and posting stuff on social media, it's like phone gets turned on. Do not disturb. And it's also just communicating those boundaries to your friends and family as well. It's like husband knows it, friends and family know it. It's like, listen, if you text me during the day, like I'm not going to respond to you probably until the evening. So like, unless it's like an absolute emergency. Don't text. Well, I'm like, you can text, but just don't expect a response from me until the evening. And I'm like, if it's an emergency, you need to like call me or, you know, whatever. But um, it's just, you know, while I'm there, I'm very focused. I'm very like deliberate. And I do what my calendar says. Like I sit down and I'm like, okay, what are we doing today? Right. And it's all been planned out ahead of time. And I will say like, I actually do that process on Sunday. So I do spend like an hour on Sunday doing this Monday hour one process because I personally prefer just to like jump into a Monday.
0: like Get up and start go. doing this stuff. Yeah, no, totally makes sense. So I guess what's your suggestion for entrepreneur who are just starting your their journey they might be doing it online they might be trying to be a coach they might be trying to do e-commerce they're trying to figure it out but they're trying to do this entrepreneurial journey. what would be your best advice?
1: two things one is just consistency which I feel like is a very common piece of advice but I think you have to realize like everyone says consistency is key because it's the truth. I think also what you have to understand is that Every single entrepreneur has started where you are and they've started at zero, you know, and I don't have like a, a huge, massive following on Instagram. Like, it's like 30,000. Like some people look at that and think, it's oh my God, pretty, it's so huge. It's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And then, and then some people like to some people it's nothing. Right. But it's ultimately like so many people are so focused on where I am. And it's like, I've been doing this for years. Like, and at one point I created this Instagram page and it had
0: literally, zero followers. Like how mom, long did it take you from zero to now 30,000? Three long years. Just, okay. So yeah, three it's, years. It's not yeah. Overnight. So <laughs> it's
1: not like people want to look at it and be like, Oh, I want to be where you are. And I'm like, okay, well then you better be ready to show up every day for three years and like serve the audience that you have without so, expectations
0: of without, like, them yeah, starting to follow you. Yeah. And so
1: consistency is key is like the biggest thing, but then also just understanding that you have to pair consistency with time. Kind of like what we were talking about. Like one of my favorite books ever, it's probably my favorite personal development book. It's called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. I recommend everyone read it, but it's just this concept of giving yourself time. And it's just like the little daily disciplines that are going to compound over a period of time. And so many people give up because they expect their business to grow like in a linear fashion, meaning it's going to grow at like a steady, like the same steady rate, like over time, but nothing in life, including money, by the way, grows at a linear rate ever. Everything in life grows at a compounded rate and compounding looks like a hockey stick. So you have to remember that a lot of you guys are giving up because you quote think it's not working And it's not that it's not working. It's just that it's not growing at the rate that you thought it. You was just can't go.
0: see it like it's growing. It's getting it's getting ramped up The growth is going to be exponential. You just have to put more effort and more time in you're absolutely right
1: That would be my two
0: consistency with time Ah. Oh. You're amazing. Okay. So books, resources, podcasts, anything that you haven't mentioned yet, something else you would recommend? Um, let's see for entrepreneurs. I would Mm. say, you know what? Entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and also people who are just interested in, you know, mindset development. God, you have so many books over there. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I know I have my like wall of books behind me. Read The Side Edge. I think The Side Edge is great just for like life in general, but also for business. I love the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. Good to Great is another really good one that I really like for, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs. Start with those. Like, I don't want to overwhelm you with too many resources, but also just know too that like doing your own mindset work as an entrepreneur is the most important thing that you can do. Like, building a business from a mental perspective will be the hardest thing that you do in your entire life. And if you're not managing your mind correctly, you will get to a point where you give up. And so managing your mind like correctly is going to be key. So, and the life I'll tell you, the life coach school podcast is a great place to start. Like she does have a lot of episodes around business but it's just like mindset work in general across all areas of life.
0: Which I think you need both. If you're building a business, you need both the mindset and the business to work together. Otherwise you're not going to be successful. Everyone who comes on the show, I ask three questions. A millennial is, a millennial should be, and a millennial is not. A millennial is.
1: When I think of millennials, and I'm a millennial too, okay? Um, When I think of millennials, I think we're really resilient. I think there's like, obviously there's just, We just live in a different time and there's a lot of obstacles that we're faced with that future generations haven't been. And when I think of a millennial, I think we're really resilient.
0: I like it. A millennial should be.
1: I would say a millennial should be hopeful for the future.
0: There's a lot to be hopeful for. Yeah,
1: I think there's a lot to be hopeful for. And again, like we said, we're just served every day with these messages that we're like, there's no hope for us. Like we're buried in student loan debt, like all this sort of stuff. And I want you to know that like, a millennial should be hopeful, I think.
0: And a millennial is not.
1: Well, I think I'll just kind of play off the last one that I said, but a millennial is not financially doomed.
0: Oh, I like that. That's so true. I mean, even though there's apparently research that, what is it, 80% of North American people wouldn't be able to retire comfortably, including millennials. So it kind of sounds the opposite, but I agree with you.
1: Yeah, that's, it's just like intentionally choosing. It's like, which side am I going to focus on? right? The resources, like, like you
0: can focus on following your account and knowing, Hey, I can figure this out. Or you can focus on the news and the headlines that are negative and right. say that, Oh, I guess it is what it is. And I can't fix it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, I'll, I'll use this as a perfect example, like this morning and not to like, you know, be whatever, but like just this morning, right? Like someone left a comment on one of my videos on my Instagram, where I was talking about student loan debt and how, you know, like you can't pay student loan debt off. And their response was, it's just not possible for everyone to do it. And my response is, of course it is. Of course it's possible. But if you think that it's not, then of course it won't be. Right. And so it's just making that conscious choice of like everyone's gonna have their own journey and their own like path and stuff like that. It's gonna take people longer than others, but it's always possible.
0: Like it's like the famous quote, you either can or you can't. Yeah, the choice is yours, and you're absolutely right. Either way,
1: yeah, exactly. And so, just knowing that, like, there's hope, and that, like, you're not financially doomed. Like, you absolutely can go out and build the financial life that you want to build.
0: You're so amazing. I love having you here. <laughs> is there anything that you see in the industry or in general the trends for 2021 that everybody should be focusing on, or that you're paying attention to? I mean, obviously reels. That's one of the things that you're doing yeah, really well. Those are big. Anything in business sense, a mindset that's going to be really trending in the next year? I'm trying to think like
1: in terms of money, my hope ultimately, and I think this is just, I'm biased again, but my hope ultimately is that people will really start to see like how important your relationship with money is. Like, I think that people are kind of getting there and I think it's becoming more and more evident to people, but just spreading this like mindset and awareness that. Like your mindset and your relationship with money is going to dictate ultimately like how successful you can be with it, and it's just not, if not more important than the management piece of it. And so, just knowing that
0: oh, makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything else? I I mean, I have not asked a lot of things from you because we're just running out of time. No. But anything you want to say, mention. And then obviously, how do people find you? What are you doing right now? What we can sign up for? Tell us everything.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, my website is under construction at the moment. So just come to my Instagram if you want to access any of these things and I will happily send you the link. But courses, most people start with my courses. So I have a course called Budget Love, which is really my course all about just getting a really solid system set up for your money. So it's like half mindset work and then the other half of it is kind of the plan and the system that we've talked through in this episode, right? Making the priority for your money, saving for future expenses, paying off debt, hitting financial goals, all of that stuff. We cover all of that in Budget Love. And actually, um, in, let's see, less than two weeks, I'm releasing my other course. It's called Money Harmony. And it's going to be for those of you who are managing money in your relationships. It's going to be a 12-week course it's mindset work, it's relationship work, but then again, also just getting a really solid foundation in place within your relationship for that financial intimacy piece of it. And so most people start with that, but then, you know, there are people who just want to go like all in and just, you know, have a coach in this area of their life. And so if that's you, if you're somebody who you really want to dive into the money piece of your life, not only from like an action, how to place, but also, like I said, addressing that 90% of the iceberg that's underneath the water. That's what I help you do. And we really start to work out like why you're doing the things that you're doing with money. So you can always reach out to me and just hire me as your
0: coach. So I love it. And uh, I mean, I, I love your content. I love your Instagram. I love the tips that you share. There are lots of value. So if you're not ready yet to sign up right away, just start following <laughs> her. Page yeah. is amazing, super friendly. And yeah, let's we'll see how that goes.
1: I know. And I will say too, I didn't mention my Instagram is not my name. My Instagram is The Purposeful Penny, which was the name of my blog when I first started. So that's why it's like... Are you still writing a blog? Absolutely. To do with nothing. No, not anymore. <laughs> I'll say this. I'll give you guys a little sneak peek of what's coming down the road. If you are listening to this podcast episode and you search the Purposeful Penny and you don't find anything, it's because I've changed my Instagram handle, which I'm going to be doing probably in the next couple of months, changing it to my name. So if you don't see the Purposeful Penny, search for Paige L. Pritchard, because I'm going to be changing it. So Because
0: that's what I was searching for first, and then I was like, hold on a second. No, it's, it's different. It's Purposeful yeah. Penny.
1: Yep. 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 Okay. I know. The good old days. I need to change it. <laughs>
0: I loved having you on here. Thank you so much for being with us for this time, sharing lots of value. You're welcome anytime. And I'll probably ask you to do on
1: <laughs> That's totally if you're fine.
0: Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah.
1: This is so fun. Thanks for having me.